I need everybody to do a little um, physical participation this morning. I want you just uh, to close your eyes. Don't worry, nobody's coming around to smack you in the head or anything. Just close your eyes for a moment. Let your shoulders relax. Take in three good breaths and then slowly exhale. Some of you can't count to three. Let them out. Now open your eyes. This has been a trying week, hasn't it? Some of you went week. <laughs> About two weeks, three weeks, month, year, life. What we're looking at this morning is continuing what I began last week, sort of, online, of this idea of connections. We, um, in looking at who we are and what we're trying to do as a church, there are three key words. Connect, grow, and serve. And last week online and this, this week, I don't think next week, but I won't guarantee that. We're looking at this idea of connecting, of connection. And it's about relationships is the connection we're talking about. And um, for those of you that get nervous when you can't fill in blanks, and last week you didn't even have blanks to fill in, on the back of the outline in the bulletin this morning is last week's with all the blanks filled in. <sighs> I was tempted to skip a couple just for fun. I didn't. But last week I began this idea of connecting. Connecting equals relationships because relationships matter, starting with the most important one in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And we looked at the fact that we need to be looking for relationships and looking to connect with others because we've been called to that. It's what God has created and called us to do if we're following him is to connect not just with him, but with others. And finding those areas where we can connect. Finding people to connect to. Some we are connected to in close relationships. Some we are just connected to as acquaintances. But we need connections. We don't do well when we are separated from our connections. Even those of you who are more into solitude than groups. You still need connections. And you especially need your connection with Christ. And when we are connected, good things happen. And when we're not connected, difficult things happen. It is mandatory if you follow Christ to be connected 
to others. I forget what the figure is, but it's a huge figure, especially in the New Testament, where it is what we call the one another's, things we are to do with one another, how we are to pray for one another, how we are to serve one another. We are to be about one another. And not just those who gather together into whatever our tribe is our Sunday morning group or our Wednesday evening group or our Tuesday afternoon group or our Sunday evening group. We're to be connected. We're to seek those connections. And this morning, what we're really focusing on is the fact that not just that these matter, but why they matter, what we need to do in these connections. So if you have your Bibles, I refer you to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews in the New Testament toward the end, not clear at the end. But Hebrews chapter 12, looking at verses 12 through 17. Now, you may notice also that Acts 11, 19 to 26 is there. That was the focus from last Sunday. And that is the foundation that we're building off of this morning. But Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 12, reads, Therefore lift your drooping hands. Just time out. How is that for an image? Ever feel like you've had drooping hands? In other words... You can't do what you ought to do or want to do with them. In other words, just too weak, too overwhelmed, too depressed to do what we desire to do or know we ought to do. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the lord See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it may many become defiled and that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sought his birthright, sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Your connections matter. And they matter because, first of all, you and I are called to peace. We are called to peace. To live in peace. Now, I want you to understand that what's being described here, this peace is not just the absence of fighting. We sometimes think that as long as there are no fists flying or bullets flying, then there's peace. Eh. No. 
and you know that. You've been in situations in a home, at work, sitting with someone where no harsh words are being spoken, no fists are flying, but there is anything but peace in the room, right? This is talking about true peace in our relationships, in our connections. Now, peace is not the same as agreement with. I can be at peace with someone who I have disagreements with, and our society needs desperately to learn that lesson. The greatest peace is our peace with Jesus Christ. And you'll only obtain the greatest peace if you are in relationship with Christ. But we are called, and our connections matter because we are called to peace. And here's the hardest part. We are called to live in peace with everyone. So that means you and I need to do our part. Now, I must make sure you understand doing our part. Because Scripture also elsewhere says to live in peace as far as it depends on you. In other words, do your part. Some people will refuse to be at peace with you, but you can be at peace with them. You might still be uneasy. You might still be troubled, but you can be at peace that in that relationship, you are doing and have done what needs to be done for that to be a good relationship. We're called to peace. Also, your connections, your relationships matter because you and I are called to holiness. These first two are connected in a lot of different ways. And in Matthew chapter 5, at the beginning of what we call the Sermon on the Mount and what was described as the Beatitudes... Verses 8 and 9 of Matthew 5 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The pure in heart, the holy, and that we are to be peacemakers. It keeps getting repeated. And let me give you an understanding that if you are living in holiness, it's easier to live in peace. And if you are living in peace, it is easier to live holy. They go together. If there's not a peace, check your relationship, not just with Christ, but with the Holy Spirit. For we are called to holiness. In fact, we are called to what is known as a sanctified life. And that comes only from the complete filling by the Holy Spirit. To live in holiness because he is holy. And he makes us holy through him. Not perfect, holy. To have motives that are right. To have attitudes that are right. And if I've got my motives right and I've got my attitude right, it's a whole lot easier to get my actions right. Our problem is we try to act our way into holiness. That's not possible. <laughs> you can't do it. 
You can fake it for a while, but you can't do it. To live a holy life, to live as God desires, to be at peace with those around us, that's what we are seeking in our connections, to live a holy life. And notice it said there in verse 14 that without holiness, without this holiness, we won't, meaning in the end, see Christ. Holiness is a big deal. It's not just a big deal because it's part of our doctrine as a church of the Nazarene. It's a big deal to just live life every day. It's a big deal to get along with others. It's a big deal for us to be able to do what God has called us to do. And to live in holiness is a must, not an option. We treat it as if it's an option. Eh, maybe I'll be holy, maybe I won't. I'll be holy today, not tomorrow. That's not how it works. Holy living is not a choice from a menu of options if you're a follower of Christ. It is an imperative. We are to live holy lives with him through the filling of his Holy Spirit. Connections matter. You better be connected to Christ or you're not going to have a chance at living at peace or holiness. And if I'm connected to him, if I'm seeking to live at peace, if I'm seeking and continuing to live in holiness, then I need to understand why. Why? Why does this matter? And this is so clear in this passage that we are called in our connections, in our relationships to help others. And it lays it out beginning in verse 15. We are called to help others live, first of all, in God's grace. See to it, verse 15 says, that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Do our part to see that everybody accepts his grace. And my heart should be broken anytime I realize somebody hasn't accepted his grace. How often is your heart broken as you recognize somebody's not living in or accepted the wonderful, amazing grace of God? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And as sweet as it sounds, it's even sweeter to live in it. Because his grace is amazing. It's undeserved, and yet it's there for us. We are called to help others live in God's grace. We're to help them do it by his grace and in his grace, by showing his grace and by sharing his grace. Living it out, showing it to people, and then helping to explain, this is my hope through the grace of God. 
to do that, we sometimes have to admit some weaknesses we try not to admit. Because I want you to think I got it all together. The problem is, you know me, so you know I don't. And those you're trying to fake it in front of also know you. And they know it takes his grace. We need to live at peace with everyone in holiness so that we can help them to live in God's grace. Verse 15, see to it that no one fails in this area. I don't want anybody to miss his grace. We're also called to help others live without bitterness. We could just park here for a few weeks, couldn't we? <laughs> the problem is, all of us would like, you would like me to park here for a few weeks. You just don't want to have to listen to it. You want everybody around you to listen to it, right? Oh, wow. So much could be said. Verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. It is stated in Scripture, and we know it from experience, that bitterness causes trouble. Right? Bitterness causes trouble. So why do we hold on to bitterness? Usually we hold on to it because we think somehow the person we're bitter toward, we can help punish them if we hold on to the bitterness. The problem is, holding on to bitterness only destroys you. It doesn't destroy them, but it will defile those around you. Bitterness isn't worth it. It tears you up. It hinders and even destroys relationships. And you see what the scripture is telling us. Notice it says a root of bitterness. And the ESV, the version I read from, puts root of bitterness in quotes. The emphasis is there. Not just a bitter moment, a bitter thought, but a root of bitterness. We've got to get rid of the root of the bitterness. Otherwise, it will continue to show up and pop up and usually at the most inopportune times. It's like pulling weeds in the yard. You can pop that weed off anytime in any kind of weather, in any kind of soil, and for a moment you can't tell that there was a weed there. The problem is, if you just pop it off like that without getting to the root of it, it will come back. The same is true in our lives and our hearts. You can't just cover it up. You can't just cut the top off of it. You've got to ask God through his Holy Spirit to dig in your heart and mind and get rid of the root of it, which means we have to let go. Bitterness is one of those things we become so familiar with that we have trouble realizing it's there. We get so 
used to it, the longer we hold on to it. But think through this while you're still arguing with yourself whether it's worth getting rid of. How much do you like being around a bitter person? Or maybe I need to ask, because maybe this doesn't apply to you. Do you know anybody who's bitter? Any of you not know somebody who's bitter? If we're going to connect and we're going to do what God's called us to, living in peace and helping others to get to peace, to live a holy life, to help others to see God's grace and live in God's grace, you can't do it if you're still holding on to bitterness. And notice the description that comes right after this in verse 15. God, get rid of that root of bitterness that springs up and causes trouble and by it, many become defiled. That's an interesting word. Defiled, stained, injured. Maybe the best definition of being defiled is icky. It's not in the original Greek, but it's descriptive right? If something's defiled, it's just icky. We need to help people get rid of a root of bitterness so they will quit living icky lives. Well, that's not a great theological term. Oh, absolutely it is because it describes what we already know. It's a picture of defiling we need to help others live without defiling others so that we don't and they don't. Now notice, it says then in verse 16, so they don't become defiled that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. You see, bitterness, sexual sin, casual Christianity will influence and defile others. In fact, defile many. We are called and we need to live in right connection with Christ, live in peace and in holiness. And to do that, we need to do it without sexual sin. Verse 16 that I just read. See to it that no one is sexually immoral. That means all sexual sins. We need to live that way ourselves. No pornography. No sex outside of marriage. Marriage between a man and a woman. No lusting to name just a few. And we need to realize that forgiveness is offered even for sexual sin. And forgiveness is not just offered, it is effective no matter what the sin is. To live without sexual sin. We have become so used to sexual sin in our culture that we not only no longer blush 
over it. We also no longer grieve over it. In fact, too often, we don't even recognize it. Now, one of the struggles in this is we enjoy helping others not do things. But we need to not do them first. Even together. To say, I struggle in this area also. Let's work on this together. Sexual sin is one of those we don't want to talk about in front of other people. But we got to deal with it somewhere. Somehow. Sexual sin will not allow peace in a relationship. Sexual sin will block holiness in a life. Sexual sin will distort God's grace. We are called to connection. To live at peace. To live holy lives. So that we can help others as well as ourselves. To live outside of sexual sin. We're also called to live in holiness. Not just to be holy, but to live in holiness. You see, Esau... You read in Genesis, if you're going through the Bible reading, which there are still some of those out there. And by the way, if you started that and you fell behind, so what? Just keep reading the word and then the word's going to get in you. And if the word is in you, then it's easier to live the word. Just start from wherever you left off. Don't worry about the dates on that thing. Just be in the word. But if you've been reading in Genesis, you came across Esau. And you came across him coming in from the field and being famished. In fact, so hungry that he thought he was going to die. You ever been that hungry? Probably not, but we've said it, right? Every child alive has said that to a parent. I got to eat now or I'm going to die. None of you are going to admit it, but some of you went, then go ahead. I, I, no, not, not, nobody in here, but some of those people listening online. He was so hungry. And Jacob manipulated that and said, I'll give you some of this stew that I'm making, just happen to be making, if you'll trade your birthright to me for a bowl of stew. And Esau did it. And by doing that, he despised his birthright as the firstborn. What's being described there is that when we trade what God desires for us for anything else, 
It is as if we despise what God wants. Just for the immediate pleasure. Whatever it might be. And as a result, Esau cried out. But didn't repent. He sought the blessing. But he was rejected because he had despised what God desired. We need to live in holiness to spur others on in holy living. Being an example of holy living. Not in judgment. But in a loving example. Not condemning those who are living in sexual sin, who are living with a root of bitterness, who are living unconnected, unholy lives, but rather to be living in such holiness that we love no matter what. And to get there, you are called to a surrendered life. Verses 12 and 13. Therefore lift your drooping hands. And strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet. In other words. You can't do this on your own. It takes the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit. It is only possible through a life. Totally surrendered to Christ and his will. Not a partial surrender. Which is a contradiction of terms. But a surrender of, Lord, you take my life and do with it as you desire. Not a negotiation. Lord, I'll trade you this for this, like Esau did. But a surrender. Lord, your will, not mine. Just like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. A surrendered life. Surrendering what we might desire for what God desires. And the beautiful part is when you live surrendered, his desire becomes your desire. Then it's not a contradiction. Then you're not really giving anything up because it's what he wants. Therefore, it's what you want. Connections matter. How are your connections? Are you connected to the right things in the right ways? Are your connections impacting others for Christ? Is there any bitterness that needs to get dug out? Is there any sexual sin that you've not admitted and given up? Are you living as he desires? In his grace and holiness and peace with those around us. That's the most important connection. It's what we are called to. What connection do you need to make today? Let's stand together. In closing,
without looking around. Just wonder if you're here this morning and said, okay, pastor, you know, one of those, you just, the scripture got me. I need to work on that. It might be peace. It might be bitterness. It might be holiness. It might be sexual sin. But you recognize this morning and are willing to admit, Lord, I need help here. And at this day, you say, okay, Lord, take it. If that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand right where you are? Oh, thank you, many of you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Now, the key is not just to have felt better by raising your hand. The key is now to make the change that God desires. Not in your power, but in his. And in making that admission, saying, okay, Lord, you dig it out. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that we were able to gather this week. Thank you for those who were able to come and those who are tuning in online. Lord, may we live in right connection, first with you and then with others. But Lord, help us as many admitted that there's an area they realize I need some help here. It might be in bitterness. It might be in sexual sin. It might be not living holy. It might be not living in your grace or not living in peace. Whatever it is, Father, help them to surrender it to you. And then from there, to live differently through the power of your Holy Spirit. Oh, Father, my prayer all week has been that you would speak a whole lot louder than I do today. And that what people take with them is what you say to them. And that we would obey what you've shown us. Thank you for pursuing us, even in conviction. May we surrender and obey. In Jesus' name, amen.